Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim In Romans chapter 6, we've been talking about being slaves to righteousness and how we are required to be slaves to righteousness. And we've taken this chapter and we've dissected it into three pieces. The first piece is that we are dead to sin, which means we no longer live according to our sin because, as the second part stated, we are alive in Christ Jesus. You can't be both dead in sin and alive to Christ Jesus. You can't be alive, I'm sorry, you can't be alive to your sin and alive to Christ Jesus at the same time. It's an impossibility. You have to give up one or the other. You can't be a double-minded person because a double-minded man can expect to receive nothing from the Lord. And so last week, we had Pastor Dylan from uh, Chapel in Alabama come in, and he preached to us and did a very good job about what it is to be alive in Christ. And so I want to say thank you to him if, and if, if he's listening. Uh, but... Today we're going to talk about having been made dead to our sin, now alive in Christ, how we are to live as slaves that have been set free, which is the name of this sermon, Slaves Set Free. And I'm going to be studying today, or we're going to be studying today, from Romans chapter 6, 15 through 23. So we'll be finishing the text, and it reads like this. Do you know, I'm sorry, verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms, of course, because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of these things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. So Romans, see this section starts with Romans 6.15. And Romans 6.15 asks, generally speaking, the same question that Romans 6.1 asks, which is, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? May it never be. He's asking, so we have grace, so why not sin? Does not, in fact, our sin cause God to extend more grace to us? And if God extends more grace to us, then isn't God shown 
more wonderful, beautiful, magnificent by extending that grace to us. So aren't we really doing God a favor when we sin because we're able to glorify Him in that sin because of the grace that He gives? This is the argument that was being made in the Christian world at that time. And in fact, it's the argument that I've seen made repeatedly uh, in today's time. What difference does it make if I sin if I'm covered in grace? This is the danger of allowing ourselves to sin because we believe that no matter what we do, God's grace is going to cover it. And Paul gives a very explicit no to that question. We, Jesus Christ did not extend grace to us, unmerited favor, so that we could abuse that grace and live like we're going to hell anyway. He has expectation of us. And so we, we talked about that, and we talked about how that expectation is that we be dead to sin, that we be alive in Christ, that in fact in our, in our dead to sin state, in our alive to Christ state, we should live, as we're going to talk about today, as a slave set free. As I was meditating on this text a couple of weeks ago, I, I had this thought, this question popped into my mind, and it reads like this, or this statement, No one thinks themselves more free than those bound by the restraints of their sin. No one thinks they're more free than those that are most bound. You talk to a drug addict, and he's going to tell you, I'm as free as I've ever been, I do what I want. You talk to anybody wrapped up in the slavery of their sin and they're convinced that they were able to do whatever it is they're doing because they want to because they're free because they can make the decisions they want to make but those people have never been more bound than they are when they say that kind of foolishness hmm. we have been called to true freedom in Christ Jesus there's only one true freedom, and that freedom is in Christ Jesus. Luke 4.18 reads like this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set those free who are oppressed. Who do you think is oppressing them? They are being oppressed by their own willingness to be oppressed let me explain to you what I mean I have a buddy of mine that had a dog and this dog when it was a puppy it was just as stupid as any puppy it made a mess in the house it was undisciplined it, it ran off it did all the stuff he sent it to training and he had this dog trained and this dog would sit on the mat when it was told to sit on the mat it would use the bathroom outside you could take it out to the yard and it would play with the kids. It would never leave his own yard. And in his discipline, he was free. He was able to do whatever it is he wanted to do because what he wanted to do more than any other thing was to please the master that he had. And so he went out and he would play with the kids in the yard until one day he was playing in the yard and something across the street caught his eye squirrel, rabbit, something, and he took off across the yard. And they had to chase him down, bring him back home, put him in the house. They thought, well, that was just a fluke. So they let him out later. He did the same thing again. 
but he might a third time did the same thing again. And now, because of that dog, although having been completely undisciplined, moved to obedience, and then discarded that obedience for the sake of his own freedom, as it were, found himself unable to leave his yard or leave his house without a leash around his neck. This dog took a step back and placed itself again in a position of disobedience because it refused to obey the master. It refused to accept that the master had an expectation of him and in that expectation there was true freedom. But let me tell you about another dog. There's a different kind of dog. I was watching a YouTube video and it was a it was a collie dog. It was and this dog specifically was trained to chase sheep and or really corral sheep. And you saw this dog and he was he was very intent on doing what the master told him to do. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a video like this, but the, the master would sit on a stump or was sitting on a stump and he had a whistle and he would, he would blow. And every time he blew, whether it was a burst, a long burst, a short burst, several quick bursts, the dog knew exactly what the master wanted. And you would watch this dog masterfully run, jump, shift, move side to side, nip at the heels of the sheep, do everything that was necessary to be obedient to the command that he was hearing. And that dog had, had it going on. He was happy. He was free. He was in his element. He was truly in the glory that God made him for. For what reason? Because he was willing to submit to the master. Because he was willing to sit, submit to the master, he was truly as free as he would ever be. And this is how we should be. This is God's expectation of us. That in our binding to lordship, to the slavery of righteousness, we realize that we don't have a collar around our neck anymore, that we are free, and that we are in our glory when we're obedient to God. Amen? And so this is what I want to talk about today. How we live that life of glory how we live that life of glory based on what it means to be a slave set free. And I'm going to make, this is a progressional text, which means it's going to have a start, a middle, and an end. And I think it's intentionally so. Paul declares that freedom, the kind of freedom that we're talking about, that finding your glory freedom, is established in obedience first. Verses 16 through 18. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Of the one whom you obey. Either of sin resulting in death or of disobedience or of obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. Freedom is established, which means finds its genesis, finds its beginning 
its foundation in obedience. Paul is saying here in verse 16, you are slaves to whoever owns you. Whatever owns you, you are a slave to. Now, we need to understand that Paul is talking to a, a Roman crowd. I didn't realize the slave population was this big in Rome until I started studying, but it was suspected that up to one-third of the population of Rome was slaves. And up to a half, or maybe better than a half of them, were currently slaves or had previously been slaves that were set free. So the Roman population would have understood exactly what he was talking about. And the Roman population, as we should know, recognized that the true identifier of someone who was a slave was one who was obedient to the master. So our freedom has to be established in obedience. If we're going to be a slave to righteousness, then in order for us to be a slave to anything, we have to be obedient to whatever that thing is. We have to do what that thing tells us to do, what that person tells us to do, what God tells us to do. Amen? We are to be obedient to the master. As with all slave owners, there were those who were benevolent and those who were malevolent. Now, a malevolent slave owner is one of ill will and hatred. This is who we belong to first. We belong to a malevolent, evil-willed, hateful slave owner who intended to do nothing but to destroy us. This isn't a slavery we had to submit to. This is a slavery we were born into. This isn't one we were just born into, but one that we naturally fell into. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin... And so death spread to all men generationally because all sinned. All men are sinful. And so we are by our very nature obedient to a malevolent and ill-willed and hateful slave owner. It's the reason why our destruction is set. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 over and over and over again, none of us is righteous. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because the enemy has placed us in a position from before our very birth through the basic and first sin of Adam and Eve to be people doomed to hell. But we don't serve that God if we've given our life to the Lord. We're not slaves of a malevolent God. We're the slaves of a benevolent God which is a kind and a good God. And we have submitted to this slavery. I want you to understand the weight of that. I want you to take a moment. The one, the enemy's slavery, we didn't have to choose. God's slavery, we got the privilege of choosing. We got to look, look at him. Look at how he treats his people. Look at the witness and the evidence of who they are. I want to be that God's slave. I want to be slave to that kind of righteousness. We see this shadowed in Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 
12 through 17. I'm going to read this whole thing. It says, If you were a kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman is sold to you, then you shall serve, he shall serve you six years. But in the seventh year you shall set him free. So there was, a, there was a thing. You could sell yourself into slavery if you were a Hebrew for up to seven years. But the seventh year was considered the, the year of Jubilee. It didn't matter how much you owed or how much you still had on your sentence. At the end of the, sixth, the seventh year, you had to let that Hebrew man go. And then bless him. You will furnish him liberally with your flock and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. You shall give him as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. It shall come about, if he says to you, if the slave says to the slave owner, I will not go out from you, but because he loves you and your household, since he fares well with you, then you shall take an awl, which is a punch, and pierce his ear into the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also you shall do likewise to your maidservant. So a slave had the ability to submit themselves completely to the, to the benevolent slave master. But once they made that decision, they didn't have a right to turn back from that decision. At the end of six years, they could say, okay, I'm done. Or at the end of seven years, okay, I'm done, I'm leaving. I'm taking all this blessing that you're going to give me and I'm walking out. But if you recognize the slave owner to be kind and loving and gracious and you determined to commit your life to him, then not only were you continually blessed, but you were continually part of his family and were expected to walk in obedience according to being a member of his family. This is a shadow of the kingdom of God, of what we do with Christ Jesus. We submit our lives. We go up to the door, as it were, and let him punch us, which is to seal us in ownership that we belong to him, saying that even if we have the opportunity to in the future, we're going to stay faithful to who he is. We're going to stay faithful to his family. This is the slavery that we've been committed to. This is the slavery that we set our hearts and our minds to. Whew, man, that's good. It's good because God gave us the choice to do it. Verse 17, I want you to listen to this profound statement. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to the form of teaching which you were committed. From the heart, committed wholly to. This leaves no compromise. There's no compromise in this statement. I have given my heart wholly over to God. Not most of it, not a piece of it, all of it. And just as the slave from Deuteronomy, I'm going to commit to that my whole life. There's no room for reasoning. Well, if the enemy, or if, if, if I just do it just this one time, God's going to forgive me. Or if I do it a second time, God's going to forgive me. What did he say in verse 1 and verse 15? You can't use grace. Jesus gave it to you not to be abused, but to cover you. There's no 
there is only focus aimed at what you have heard. Obedient from my heart. I am obedient without compromise. I am obedient without reasoning to that form of teaching which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. What is, I guess the question is, what is the form of teaching to which we've been committed? The form of teaching that which we've been committed is found, the, the truth of what that is, is found in verse 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. What form of teaching did we hear that redeemed us and made us slaves to righteousness? It's the gospel. It's that Jesus Christ loved you enough to come here, die, live, die, rose again, sits at the right hand of the Father so that you might be enslaved, or so, so that you might be enslaved, even though you were disobedient and deserving of hell. But we have to hold firm without compromise, without trying to reason our way out of the form of teaching we've been given. That's how we're freed from sin. And because we are slaves to righteousness and obedience is the only declaration of true slavery, then we have to be slaves to that which we knew. That's why freedom begins in obedience. Because freedom begins as we recognize the form of teaching that we've been given, which is the gospel message, and submit ourselves as slaves to righteousness. I'm preaching good in here today. But this obedience to freedom isn't the beginning of our freedom. Or is just the beginning of our freedom. Freedom is continued in sanctification. We didn't get saved and be all, all right, now I can do whatever I want. Because that's not how the Bible tells us it's supposed to happen. In verse 19 through 22a, it reads like this. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just, I'm glad he did, you know, Paul all seeing the third heaven and all that. Ain't no telling what he could be speaking about. But he decided to talk to us like we're, well, like we're all cubic. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. Man, there's a lot of stuff going on right there. Having been born into sin, excuse me, now reborn into righteousness, we have to live like it. Which is where we all get it jacked up. Man, this altar call is easy. But to live in that righteousness is so much more difficult. Paul states that sinfulness is a slowly degrading state. 
It says here, For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, which is sinfulness, resulting in further lawlessness and sinfulness. And so unrighteousness breeds more unrighteousness. And usually a higher degree of unrighteousness. I can prove this to you, and actually I hope to. I'm going to read quite a chunk of Romans chapter 1 because it's so important. Verse 21, Even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculation, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their heart to impurity. I want you to underline that or write that down. So that their bodies were dishonored among them. They were exchanging the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. I want you to underline or write that down. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and perceiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. I want you to underline that to do those things which are not proper, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, deceit, strife, malice, they're gossipers. And it goes on and on and on. And although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Why do I read that? I read that because... Paul says in Romans 6 that lawlessness results in further lawlessness. The nature of the sin that you commit today will be worse tomorrow. It says they were given over to impurity. If you look this word up, it means to reckless and wasteful living. To desire more than what God wants for them which is bad enough. But they continued and God released them into even a greater sin, which is degrading passions, which is to live shamefully and behave in a revolting, vile fashion. But that wasn't enough for them. And so God released them to the depraved mind, which means to live completely without principle, unable to reasonable to reason between good and evil. Did you catch that slow degradation? I just want what I want. To I'm going to do whatever necessary to get what I want. To now I don't even understand why what I want is bad. And that's when we get to this point, when we can't understand or discern the difference between good and evil, we've been released to a depraved mind. 
because we don't know what good is. We don't know who God is. I'm convinced that the people that have gotten to this place have so darkened, become so darkened in their understanding that short of a miracle of God, which is very possible, but still short of a miracle of God, they will never come back to the Lord. And that's the condition of the world today. We live in a society that applauds what we would have called vile less than a generation ago. That celebrates the sinful nature of itself. That glories in its shame. Whose king is its belly. Or its God is its belly. This is all the things that would happen in the end times that, that people won't even recognize. We just... I'm not going to get into political stuff. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, you take a three to five year old kid who accidentally picks up a Barbie doll and his parent says, oh, that must be a girl. And starts letting that kid take hormone replacement therapy, but at the same time won't let that kid drive a car, drink a beer, or smoke a cigarette. It's, we're, we're, we're jacked up. This is the slow degradation that he's talking about when he says lawlessness leads to further lawlessness. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about that. Didn't want to spend that much time. But I wanted to say it for one reason. Because righteousness increases righteousness. The more you pursue something, the more you recognize it to be true. The more I read my Bible, the more I want to read my Bible. The more I pray, the more I want to pray. The less I intentionally avoid and neglect sin, the more I want to intentionally neglect sin. The, the more I stand in the presence of God, the more I want to stand in the presence of God until ultimately we grow more and more and more sanctified. Sanctified. Sanctification is a big word. Let me tell you what it means. Set aside for a specific use. Continue to continue as useful in that specific use's assignment. My wife got me this blow pop. I said, bring a blow pop to church. I want to I do illustration. I'm going to illustrate sanctification to y'all. This is a blow pop. This is my blow pop. Actually, it's anybody's blow pop at this point because I just opened it. If I could ask Trent if you want this blow pop, he wanted this blow pop, he'd be okay with it. But if I took this blow pop and went, now it's my blow pop. This blow pop has been sanctified unto me. No one else can use it. Nobody else should want to. But the reason I've chose the blow pop as to any other thing is because it belongs to me. For a moment, let's pretend this is me. And if this belongs to God, then it's going to always belong to God because God set it aside, because God marked it. Because it's a blow pop and it's got gum in it, it should get better the longer it's in God's, it's used for God's purpose. And it'll be used for God's purpose until it's completely gone. 
This is who we're called to be. We're called to be sanctified, belonging to God, getting better and better the longer that we're in his possession until ultimately he takes us home and we become perfect. That's the simple term of sanctification, and that's what Paul calls us to in Romans chapter 6. Until we are gone, we don't have a right to go backwards. Verse 21 says, Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcomes of these things is death. Don't go back to what you were. Remember the story I told you about the dog at the beginning? That was disciplined, that was committed, that did everything that he was supposed to be doing until something caught his eye and he ran off? He went backwards and put a leash around his own neck again lost his freedom because he was disobedient, because he didn't maintain his sanctification, because he didn't continue to belong to and be obedient to the master that he has. This is what we're called to be. This is what we're called to do. I don't know how else to say it or how often or how many times I need to say it. We have to be slaves to righteousness in a society that says, I'm not a slave to anything. You're a slave to God or you're going straight to hell. You're a slave to something. You're a slave to righteousness or a slave to unrighteousness. Let this be the time that you determine to be a slave to God, a slave to righteousness. Take off your old self. Put on your new self and chase after the things of God. Amen? So everything has its beginning, excuse me, is established in obedience. Freedom continues in sanctification. But ultimately, freedom is finished in hope. Praise God. Verse, chapter 6, verse 22b. And the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our outcome is eternal life. It, our, our Christian life has a beginning. It starts in obedience. Continues in sanctification. But is finished in our hope. Our eternal life. I love this verse. This last verse. This 23. For the wages of sin and de is death. People... I like it because we, we use the first half of it. We're very comfortable with the first half of it. People always say, for the wages of sin is death. That's not the most important part. The most important part is, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Can I argue that's not the most important part either? The most important part is, our Lord. You want to find out what this verse means? Read it backwards. Our Lord is the reason our wage is paid and we have a free gift. But we have to be obedient as slaves. Call him Lord, which means to do as he says to do, when he says to do, how he says to do, both according to his spirit and his word. 
if you ever hope to find that hope. This is the truth of our sanctification. This is the truth of our slaved righteousness is that we are founded in the gospel. We are continued in our sanctification and we find our hope and our end in freedom. So if you're watching today, I have just a couple questions. Are you free? Are you truly free? Have you determined Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life? Because if he's not the Lord of your life, then this first part of the verse that we find so much comfort in can't be true. He hasn't paid the wage of your sin. He isn't a free gift to you. But praise God, according to Romans, John 3.16, God sent his only begotten son so that he could be. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So as pointed as I can tell you, I tell you this. We've all been sinners. But Jesus Christ was sent so we didn't have to stay that way. And if we've made that declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. But if we haven't continued in that sanctification process, we don't have that promise either. Move forward in your salvation and in your sanctification so that you might find your hope. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you. And we thank you that you love us. We've read the truthfulness of your word. We've dissected it. We've heard it, caught it in our spirit. God, if there's any person listening to this lesson today that doesn't know who you are or for whatever reason has allowed themselves to slip away, I ask that you draw them back to yourself by the power of your Holy Spirit, that there be a conviction. If there's any mother, father, grandfather, brother, son, uncle who has someone in their family that they're, they're struggling for, they're standing in the gap for, that doesn't know you, I ask, Heavenly Father, that you send someone to them, that they be convicted by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, I praise you that it's as simple as this for us, that we declare in Jesus' name that we are sinners, that we don't deserve your righteousness, but your word says that you give it to us when we declare you Lord, and so we call you Lord. We thank you, Heavenly Father. We believe in our heart that God raised you from the dead, and that we are so excited that we get to celebrate that resurrection next Sunday. But we should, re we should celebrate that resurrection every day. And so God, for those people that don't know what, what to pray, God, I repent of my sin. I turn away from that sin and turn towards Jesus, thanking you, Heavenly Father, because you were mighty to save. I just ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you keep me and strengthen me. And if I fall tomorrow, God, let it know that it be not on purpose. But I ask that you pick me up and strengthen me for the next day. God, we praise you because we know you answer that prayer. We worship you because we know you want to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.